Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast. I'm your host, Evan Transu, aka Mr. Health Coach Ev. In case this is the first time you're tuning into the podcast, a little background on what we're doing here. Um, like I said, my name's Evan. I am a speaker in the mental health space. I also wrote a book on the topic, and I do a lot of stuff with helping people functional health coach-wise and just trying to figure out the root cause of mental health issues that people might be dealing with and not know why. But over time, as I began to kind of get into my job and share my story, I realized the value that every single story had. Because when I first was speaking about this, I was uh, not so great, to put it kindly, to myself. And I just kind of realized, even though I was a terrible speaker, I was still getting results. And what hit me was like, oh, okay, it's not necessarily the speaking skill, although of course that's always a nice thing, but it's not that. It's the stories that help people. It's the stories that really connect with other individuals. And it made me want to create a platform for others to kind of share their story and the things that they've dealt with um, or, you know, just any kind of story with mental health in general. So I ended up starting this podcast a little over a year ago now, and it's just been a really fun experience. Um, and the guest that we're about to have on today is like a perfect example of this because this is just, you know, friend of a friend type of stuff, you know, connected through the grapevine and, you know, has a story for us and a really unique perspective because we've never really done this particular type of interview on the podcast. Uh, what we're going to be doing basically is having her come on. Her name's Nicole Meckley, and she's going to be sharing the story of kind of her sister and um, the things that she dealt with. So, Nicole, thank you so much for coming on today and being willing to share this with us. Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for having me. No problem. So, okay, we always start the podcast off with the same question. And again, this is going to be kind of different today because we are talking about uh, Kylie. But we always start the podcast off with what was, in this case, Kylie like as a kid? And we're talking about that like 5 to 12-year-old range. Now, some people weren't dealing with anything mental health-wise then. Other people had a lot going on. So feel free to go in as much depth with that as you want, as is um, relevant. Yeah, so this is going to dive right into the hard stuff. Um, Kylie was four years old when our father passed away. I was 12. Um, she stayed living with her mother, um, which was my stepmom, and I stayed living with my mom and stepdad. And her life from there was one of an addict. Um, she wasn't an addict at that age, but she lived with addicts. Her mother was into crack, um, heroin. Um, I guess it spiraled out of control when after my father passed away. Um, so Kylie was constantly subjected to that lifestyle. Um, she was subjected, you know, from four to 14 years old. She was seeing the use of drugs, being offered use of drugs uh, by her own mother. Um, she was being um, cuddled by 40 year old men as she's sleeping, um, that were okayed by her mother. Um, so it was a lot of abuse, neglect, and just traumatizing events that, um, led her to a life of severe depression, severe insecurity, anxiety. Um, and so at or at, I believe it was 14 years old, I was finally able to get custody of her um, because she 
admitted to the state the things that were going on in her life. Um, but prior to that, you know, she, I would try to reach out to social services and when they'd get involved, Kylie would lie to them because her mother would say, if you do this, I'm going to jail and it'll be all your fault. You know, so really kind of making her feel guilty and shamed for trying to better her life. Um, so eventually at 14, she had enough. And that is when she came into my care. And I really got to see the trauma that the last you know, 10 years of her life had caused. Okay. And that's like, on one end, awful, obviously. And then on the other end, kind of amazing that she had you that, you know, kept fighting for her all this time to, to do this, because that's not always the case for a lot of people, right? They kind of just get um, forgotten about in these situations. And some of this stuff is just so foreign to me, because, um, you know, I always talk about on this podcast, kind of, and it's worth reiterating almost every time, just so people understand where I'm coming from, like, the difference between circumstantial and non-circumstantial mental health issues. Like I had a very good environment growing up. It didn't really make sense that I was dealing with mental health type of stuff. And that's what I call kind of a non-circumstantial case. And then what you're describing here already is about as circumstantial as it gets, right? Like this is just a totally unfair situation, especially when it's done to someone so young. I mean, that's a time in our life when our minds are being molded, our brains are forming impressions about the world. Like, we just, we, we start learning about the environment and making, uh, or just developing our understanding of life, I guess, itself. So I can't, I, I really can't even imagine what it's like to go through some of this stuff. And I think that's actually a, amazing that she was strong enough, even at 14, to finally be able to go against the kind of almost like gaslighting or manipulation right. her mom was putting her through. Because that can take a lot longer than an age like that to be able to get out of something like that. So it was probably a mix of you being there for her and then her having some um, her own strength. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some real strength to be able to do that. So you said after you got custody of her, that's when you really started to begin to see some of the tolls that had been taken. I mean, what was some of the repercussions of the years of this going on? I mean, she herself was definitely into illegal substances. Um, I'd find empty bottles. Uh, I mean, I was just 21 at that time. So I didn't have much alcohol around. I wasn't even into that that much, but I'd find bottles emptied in closets. And I found a stash. Um, surprisingly, I mean, I guess she was not used to having to hide it. So she wasn't really good at that. Um, so just her illegal substance issue was probably the biggest thing um, that I initially was like a huge red flag wag wagging like waving like hey um you know she's not okay um and then she was also on medication when I received custody of her and I was really in opposition to medication because of the family history of drugs mm -hmm. um I didn't know much about the drugs on the market I didn't know their addictive qualities are non-addictive. Um, I didn't want her to be reliant on those things because I just felt like it was going to be a domino effect. Um, so I did not refill her prescription. And from there, I mean, there was just moods, there was fighting, there was rebellion, um, there was lack of trust. And I, like she and I were best friends our entire lives. Like she was like my little girl because my dad was too sick to take care of her when he had cancer and 
So that was like my baby. And just to see our relationship take a totally different path was in itself heartbreaking. And then to see how hurt she was from the past and not really facing it also in itself was incredibly heartbreaking. Right. Well, and this is a I mean, tough situation in multiple regards because you, you're taking custody of her, but there's a seven year age range difference, um, which is incredibly tough. Like it's I mean, you guys obviously literally are sisters, but like that is the age range difference of actual sisters. So it's almost like I feel there could have been maybe at times, especially while she's going through this. It, you know, was there a, maybe an issue with like the authority there? Like, hey, like, yes, you have custody, but you're my sister. Like, you can't tell me what to do type of stuff. Of course. Yeah, that was definitely an issue we struggled with. And we did seek family counseling for that, um, which helped uh, with our relationship, our ability to communicate better. Um, but it just kind of scratched the surface. Um, Oh, and really the underlying things that are, are affecting her that were going to continuously affect her and thus by extension, her relationships with me and others. Um, so we definitely didn't get, I guess, the best treatment we needed for us and her to thrive at that time when we initially sought it. Right. And there's a couple other things I wanted to touch on just so it's clear, because, you know, she came to you at, at 14 and is already fully abusing um, substances. Do you know, like, what age did that, because of course, I mean, it's not her fault, right? Like her mom's like right. pushing this on her, but what was the age that she started like really like actually using these things to the point now she has a habit herself, do you know? Um, from my understanding, it definitely was right around 10, 11 years old that she was promiscuous as well as um, taking and ingesting different subs illegal substances. Wow. I mean, I guess it's all relative sometimes because like people, you know, I'll say 15 for me and they're like, oh, you know, that's so young. But it's like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like 10, 11, that's <laughs> I'm like a baby at that time. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine being that age and doing those things and not thinking twice about it. Yeah, that would unsettling for sure. Right. And then so. The other thing I wanted to touch on from what you were talking about before is like, we don't have to get into uh, specific names. It's it's not a big deal to me, but I was more wondering like the class, like when you said she was on a medication, I'm assuming you're referring to mental health stuff. And like, was this like an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety? Like what was she? Oh, giving? yeah. She was on oh, an okay. antidepressant and anti-anxiety medication, but yeah, too. Okay. So she has both of those things, which are incredibly strong. Um, obvious, I mean, typically those classes are very strong drugs and then she has all this outside substance abuse going on. So what it was it that these, of course, if her mom had so much control at this time, like at some point her mom had to probably take her to the doctor and say, Hey, you know, she can get this kind of medication. So was this because of, um, your guys dad passing away? Like, was that the reason that this was given? Uh, I don't. Lisa, honestly, I don't know too much about, I was oblivious to her taking medication until she lived with me. And so I never really asked, like, when did that start? What prompted it? Um, so I, I can't really speak on in regards to that. No, and that's okay. I was just kind of wondering, because in my head here, I'm thinking, I'm like, okay, 14, already on the medication. Clearly, she didn't go to the doctor by herself. You know, someone had to take her. Well, dad's not in the picture, obviously, anymore. Um, so mom is the only one that can do that. And mom obviously has quite a few things going on. So I was just wondering almost, I'm like, I wonder if there's like some type of projection there, because, um, you know, as, of course, as 
much as I'm sure there is many things mom could have done better, uh, you probably have realized by now, this is a woman that was probably in a ton of pain herself. So, which is just the most unfortunate part of all of this. And then you end up taking it out on others. So I was kind of just wondering if like, she's projecting that pain onto Kylie and that's why she would get her on those kinds of medications because it doesn't seem like she was too involved otherwise in a, in a positive way. So it's just sad. I'm just, I'm trying to get some more insight on the situation, but I get it. Um, okay. So how did this, oh, yeah, sorry. Well, I was going to say, I know that she was um, in and out of custody, like in and out of living with her mom, as well as her mother's parents. So uh, my grandparents. Um, so I, would, they were much more responsible with her, but they themselves were alcoholics. Um, but yeah. when she was in their care, they would definitely do more for her than her mother would. Um, so I think she was in their care probably about a year before she came into my care permanently. Um, okay. So there was like a year gap there. She was with her mom uh, before she came to me. Okay, got it. That actually makes a ton of sense. I, could, yeah. I definitely see what you're saying with that. All right. So, you know, she's obviously in like late middle school or high school, depending on how they do the grades where you guys live when she comes to you. I mean, what what did the school life look like? Is this something that she's even participating in at this point? Or I mean, how did that go with all of these other things happening in her life? Yeah. So we I took uh, she came into my care end of the school year, the prior year. So we had all summer to try to. Uh, mitigate any of the issues that we were having and um, kind of reverse the addiction aspect. And when she started school, she actually was really excited and was in a better place, seemingly so. Um, so the first year after um, after that really rough summer, she did awesome. She was active in sports. She was getting A's. Um, so I really felt like things were on the mend and that anything that had happened was over with, you know, I was very naive. Um, but for about a year and a half, she just had a very steady, happy one and a half to two years. Okay. Got it. And I think you touched on it earlier by saying like her own strength and just to do these things in any capacity is like so tough at this age, I feel like. So, um, it, it, but it's interesting because you can see it, right? Like she's still fighting. She's trying to, you know, do this stuff, but has all these other influences. Um, I mean, literally, you know, substance influences in her life. So when was it at the point then again, um, cause I'm assuming that you said, you know, one to two years, I'm assuming something happened that kind of led back into, you know, maybe substance abuse or other things happening? When were you realizing that, hey, you know, oh, things aren't maybe going so well at the moment? Yeah, so I started to become a little more lenient, um, you know, letting her go with friends to places, um, letting her stay the night without too many questions. And these were friends I've, I'd met and felt comfortable with, um, but they were still teenagers. And um, she, I guess, started slowly drinking again and smoking with some of them, um, unbeknownst to me, and a breakup with someone she was dating long term, since she had moved there, uh, that really just led to her doing that more often. And at a party, she, I didn't know this at the time, but found out later that she had blacked out and some guy took advantage of her. 
And when word got out at school that she was potentially raped, everyone kind of turned on her. And that just triggered it all over again, that trauma. And she just went like spiraled downwards into just anger and sadness and frustration and went back to the only coping skills she knew, which is, uh, I did forget to mention, self-mutilation, um, as well as drinking and drug use. Um, Got it. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of just like you said, you know, the only coping mechanism she really knows, like, oh, I feel pain. Like, that's hardwired. I mean, you're talking 10 years old. Like, this is just so hardwired in your brain when you're learning how to deal with stuff like this. So, and that's what's really tough is because teenagers... I really try to be careful with what I say on the podcast because I don't want this misrepresented, right? Like, would I have been better off never using a drug as a teenager? Probably. I 100% believe that. But I cannot lie and say I don't also know kids who really did just do some stupid stuff. They experimented and that was that. And it never really was a major problem. So that's the issue, right? Because you become a teenager, you start hanging around other teenagers and someone is going to do it maybe otherwise innocently right and then if you get re-exposed to that and your brain has these pathways where it's abused these substances at any capacity before um i think that's just unfortunately like kind of a recipe for um disaster with all that so now obviously we're talking at this point to 14 at a year or two we're talking 15 16 and she's 21 um now i think i don't know if we mentioned that here but obviously you mentioned that to me before so what has happened in between those years like how did obviously if everything's getting out of control now she's dealing with this trauma because um she had that situation with uh the guy at this party like this is just there's a lot of stuff going on so what what takes place after this how do we finally maybe be um i don't know if as you said that there's still obviously some stuff going on which i understand but i think it's better probably now than it was then and that's why you're doing this so how did this kind of just take place over the next few years and how did things kind of maybe get a little better so at that point when she started spiraling downhill big time um i mean she was actually just running away driving down to her mom's um that lived four hours away because at this time she had a car um, and I'd have to go pick her up and, you know, have someone come with and drive her car because she was just in hysterics. Um, she got to the point where, you know, she's punching lockers and needing me to pick her up to take her to the doctors. Um, I, at this time, like, did seek out counseling for her. And she was going um, consistently. But I don't necessarily, I mean, it was it was very short-lived because, She eventually had suicidal ideations that required me to check her into a psychiatric hospital. Um, And this was end of her uh, 11th grade year. Um, So I checked her into a hospital because I just didn't know what else to do. Um, She was in there for about two weeks. Uh, She came out. Now, a few months prior to that, she did have a job. She met a guy there who she started dating. Um, and so he kind of really helped me at that time to take care of her. And I obviously couldn't be there all the time when she came out from the psych hospital. So he was, you know, I was letting him stay there to help, even though I knew she was 17, he was actually 21 at the time. Um, it just, for me, I was like, this is better than just myself trying to tend to her and potentially 
losing her because she does something when I'm not around. So um, she did actually try to OD the day after she got out of the hospital, but the boyfriend had, I guess, taken care of her and she didn't OD. She didn't even have to go to the hospital. They didn't tell me until like three days later that had happened. Um, But we, since it was the end of the school year, we moved about an hour away. Um, So we were still close enough to some of my family. um, And, but she could get away from that school and all of the happenings that occurred at the end of the year and kind of start fresh at a new school. Um, So she did that and she was dating that guy and she was doing well in school and it was her senior year. So really she just, um, you know, took that year to just disconnect herself from all those bad things that had happened. Uh, However, the boyfriend that I thought was a good addition to her life turned out to be incredibly controlling, manipulative to a severe degree. And given her life of neglect, she mistook his controllingness for love. And um, they did stay together for like three, four years. Unfortunately, she and I, once she graduated, uh, didn't end on good terms solely because she wanted to be with him and I realized it was toxic. Um, and so I didn't support it. And so after two, three years of living with him, she slowly made her way back to communicating with me throughout those years and just checking in, calling me and developed a relationship again, a really good, healthy relationship, a sister relationship, not just parental. Nice. Um, and she admitted to me that he was um, sexually coercing her to do threesomes, to do sexual things she didn't want to. He was becoming very physical in bed because she was not wanting to do those things. Um, and, and she started just realizing how unhealthy and toxic it was. She was no longer making um, excuses for him or calling it love. and. Um, because of that, she did end up leaving him and he moved in with me again. And I would say from there, like we've had an incredible relationship since, but it still is a struggle for her to constantly want to be codependent on someone. Um, and just, uh, she can't be alone with herself, you know? Got it. And I got to give both of you a lot of props as I'm hearing this story. And then even just having talked to you before, I mean, I feel like sometimes people forget, like, because we're talking in a podcast, right? So we're summarizing a very long, I mean, life in a matter of, you know, 40, 60 minutes here. I mean, first of all, as a sister, you just never stop, like consistently over the years are trying to do your best and trying to get any help that you can, which is like amazing. Um, And because you're young yourself most of the time that this is going on. Yes, there's plenty of 21-year-olds that have children. No, there's no 21-year-olds that have a a mini adult that they have to take care of, right? That's a completely different responsibility. So I have a lot of respect for you as a sister just keeping going this whole time. And then also with Kylie, though, the way that you've described this is it sounds like, you know, Kylie did have a, a lot of reasons to make excuses or, you know, to do any of these things. If anyone's got a reason, she has one. And throughout time, it seems like she has like these little mini realizations where, you know, she pushes out of something like, okay, I'm 14, I'm going to speak up against what's happening at my mom's house, you know, or um, I'm going to admit like what's going on with the boyfriend. So there's definitely, like you said in the beginning, I'll just reiterate that that strength that she 
clearly has innately um, to just keep pushing and doing these things. So I'm glad to hear that nowadays there's at least, you know, a better spot um, than before. What are, I mean, if we could talk about some of the stuff going on today, I'm assuming this is on limits since we're telling the story in general. I mean, is she in therapy? Are we using medication? Like what is some of the stuff that's being used today maybe to deal with some of the stuff that's happened in the past? Yeah, so that is probably my biggest reason for sharing what I'm sharing. Um, because again, like throughout her time with me, I didn't do the best job. I did try to get her counseling, but I did try to refrain from allowing medication to enter her life. Um, and the therapist, you know, they weren't the most helpful at times. Um, and, and so I didn't consistently seek someone else who may resonate with her. Um, so now, you know, she's 21 years old. She can't be on my health insurance because they just don't allow that for sisters. Um, so she has had difficulty holding a, a job when things with her past relationship ended. And, you know, she was kind of fearful for her life to get away from him because, you know, he was very toxic. So she hasn't really held insurance um, for like consistently since she's been 12, 18, basically. Um, and I have paid for her on and off, but she hasn't herself devoted like herself to getting better to really addressing this trauma which I know it has to be hard so um, I don't blame her but um, without the job without the insurance it is a difficult world to get that medication to get that treatment that's necessary and so I kind of feel like I lost years of being able to help her by not really confronting what was there and really happening and evident um, and so now she's trying to do it on her own when the world is already tough for anyone at, you know, this like 18 to 22 years old, you know, it's, it's a very, very transformative and um, important year. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, she's not on medication. She's not getting treatment because she doesn't have health insurance and yeah. And I mean, I had, again, I was paying for her health insurance, um, but she was not actually doing the work on her own to go to these uh, treatments, to go to the doctors. So I was like, I'm not gonna keep spending $400 a month on your health insurance when you are not actually utilizing it. And you don't, you don't seem invested or like you really want that for yourself right now. So I can't make you want something. I can't help you if you don't wanna help yourself. Sure. And I mean, that's totally fair, right? That's $400 a month. That's not a joke. You know, that definitely is like you're spending money. Um, you don't want to be wasting something like that. And not to mention, I mean, yeah, like before she was already a mini adult, 21, like that is, you know, yeah, you make your own decisions, you do your own things. It, it, that's that's what it is. Um, I'd also like to just point out just for anyone else listening. I mean, you know, I wouldn't be so hard on yourself with some of the things that maybe were or weren't decided with medication in the past. I think the the stigma has been constantly, even over the last five, six years, just being lifted on mental health stuff in general. There is so much confusion about what to do with these things. Um, and I have no doubt in my mind, um, even knowing you very briefly, that you were really doing the best that you could with the information that you had at the time. So I don't doubt that at all. Um, now, I know that, you know, you had, when we were talking before, you kind of wanted to get across a point with 
hey, really taking advantage of that stuff when, when you could. What are some of the perspective changes that maybe you've had with medication or therapy or any of these things? Because obviously at one point you were saying, all right, like they, you didn't think that maybe they were the best idea. And now you're kind of wishing that you had done that. So for anyone else that's in that boat, maybe you could share like how your perspective changed on that um, and what you would have done looking back. Yeah, I mean, really, it's just about believing the science that is out there and really just wanting to become informed about something that you can't firsthand understand. So I, I did a lot of reading. Um, I read this book called The Noonday Demon. Uh, it's like it's called The Atlas for Depression, when depression, I think. Um, and it just really gave me perspectives about uh, like the I feel like I saw through that lens for the first time ever and could understand why people need treatment, why medications are the answer for some and why they're not for others. So it's just really, I, I think wanting to become informed, not wanting to just believe the stigma, like this is, it's not tangible. So it doesn't really exist, you know, just not falling trapped to those things because I did. And, and I, I just, now that I see it differently, I want so much more for her. I want to be able to offer her more. I want her to be able to receive more um, than she is or has. Um, so really that's that's what's so important to me is just, just because something is not tangible doesn't mean it's not real. And it can be as real or more real than other debilitating diseases that take lives, you know? And I, I don't see it yeah. as selfish like I used to. Um, I. I love your honesty and transparency with this because you know what? There's a million other people out there that can act like they haven't thought the exact same things and use the exact same words in their head like you have. But this is honestly so common, these types of thoughts. And even as someone who's dealt with this stuff myself, I can't even say I blame these people. It's it's if you break your arm, you can see that my arm is broken. You can see that it's in the cast and it is very easy to immediately empathize and realize, Hey, you know what? I don't think I would want that to happen to me. Like you can very much tell that would not feel good. It wouldn't be a fun thing to go through. But when we're dealing with depression or anxiety or substance, or I don't even know all the technical, you know, maybe diagnoses that Kylie could have met or could meet, you know, it's very hard to connect with that type of stuff. So you had said that you began like reading about this. Do you think maybe for people out there that have someone that is dealing with mental health stuff, but maybe they've really never dealt with anything serious, mental health wise, at least themselves, do you think like reading in those types of things could be a good thing to start and really help them understand more? I don't think that I would have seen things differently had I not. Like they really opened my eyes to an, an entirely different world. And I, I recommend it to anyone that I know. I like have books on hand just to give them because I love what I learned from this. And I feel like I, I everyone needs someone who is struggling. And they don't have to be diagnosed to be in pain and thus understanding and learning how to be compassionate in those situations, like is, is of utmost importance to every human. So yeah, for those who are around someone who is actually diagnosed and struggling, as well as those who just interact with humans in general, like it, it really opens your eyes to understand the, the differences in, in just mental perspectives. Awesome. And I, I truly believe the times are hopeful. I think there is a huge veil that's lifting. Um, you know, in this world with mental health stuff, it's something I, I hate 
bringing up is it's just so sad. But, you know, because people are always like worried about the stigma even today. And don't get me wrong. I think, you know, the stigma being um, lessened is always beneficial. But I try to remind people that like 300, 400 years ago in this country and in other countries around the world, people were being like hung or drowned for what we now know was probably schizophrenia, right? Like these people were being called like witches and stuff like that. And I mean, that's like terrifying to think about. A few hundred years ago is not really that, in in my opinion, in the grand oh, scheme yeah. of things, that long that we had this much of a misinterpretation of that stuff. So I really do think things are getting better and it's kind of exponential now because as people like you that have maybe never under really stood this stuff, like you're going to have a different kind of empathy or even sympathy for anyone that you meet that that's dealt with this stuff and that's going to spread. So I really commend you for doing the research and, and trying to understand this and sticking with Kylie for all these years, just trying to support her and get help. I mean, she's very uh, lucky to have you in her life. Now I want to ask like one or two final questions here. Um, one is, it's kind of weird because I normally would ask the person, Hey, what would you go and tell yourself back during that initial time? But obviously you're in a different position. And on top of that, we kind of touched on, you know, what would you do if you could go back in time? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll bite though. And I'll try to word it differently. If you knowing what you've known about Kylie, if you could, to the best of your ability, like really put yourself in her shoes and maybe give some advice to someone that's in that position now, like maybe they're dealing with a drug addict parent um, or one of those things, like what is the advice that you could give them to get out of that situation as quick as possible? I would probably tell myself that you know, you are not the villain for wanting to get out of really unfair and unjust circumstances. And like, it is going to hurt because you care, but it is necessary for your health. And that's what is most important is that you are healthy um, and other people can take care of themselves and should take care of themselves. But you need to focus on you first and foremost. Um, and that is strength. That is not, um, that is not weakness. That is not shame. That is not guilt. It is pure strength for you to put yourself first. Well, perfect. That's why I asked that question and you answer that just as well as um, anyone else would regarding their own story. So I appreciate that. The final question I have for you, Nicole, is, um, is there anything that we didn't maybe touch on on this podcast that you wanted to be said? Um, I always just like to do this to kind of dot my I's and check my, or cross my T's and dot my I's, excuse me. Um, just to make sure we didn't miss anything. Like, is there anything else out there that you'd like to get known or did we kind of cover everything you wanted to cover today? Yeah, I really feel like you guided this very well to touch on everything that would be very important to me. Um, I would just say that I really appreciate um, how you were able to see the strength in Kylie because I too see that. But when you share a story about this because of stigmas that are attached, people don't always see the strength that she's clearly exhibited over and over again. And so I really appreciated that you could see that and feel that and, and hear that from my, my shared story. A absolutely. And yeah, and you conveyed it well, because I think just having been through it myself at a young age, whether or not it was for completely different reasons, you know, no one wants to feel like that. No one wants to be, um, doing drugs every single day at any point in their life. Like no one ever woke up and said those things. So I just see that I'm like trying to think back to myself and just how hard it was to find 
any motivation or muster up any courage to do these things. And, you know, at least I had a good support network around me all the time. That was obviously not the case for a good portion of Kylie's life. And yet you still see her doing these little things where she's taking action and trying. And, and that is, yeah, a huge testament to her. So no problem with that. But um, all right, guys, this is not one of those ones, you know, obviously we're not going to be following Nicole or Kylie on social media by any means. It's it's not that type of podcast. I know we do that sometimes, but um, this is just truly a story. Someone got on here today completely selflessly uh, just to try to help others. And I think it was such a unique perspective that you brought, Nicole. We've never had someone from kind of that almost caretaker role come on. And this went really well in the sense that I think that this is definitely going to relate to a lot of people out there. So um, thank you so much again for hopping on. Guys, you've been listening to the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast with your host, Evan Transu, aka Health Coach Ev, and our guest today, Nicole Meckley. We will be back with you guys next week for another interview. Thank you so much for tuning in.